Hey. Welcome to episode 88 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. This is, of course, a podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. And if you're not, allow me to introduce myself. I'm, of course, your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM on all socials. So why not head on over to Twitter and follow me at Sir DRJM. You can, of course, reach out to me there with anything you'd like to hear on the show. Questions, comments, concerns, topics, or anything around that as it relates to Overwatch, Overwatch 2, the Overwatch League, and, of course, video games in general, Blizzard games, whatever you've got. I love to talk, and I would like to incorporate you. I will, of course, read anything out that you bring to the table on the show, assuming it's appropriate, of course, and hopefully answer some questions. Now, We've got a big show to get to, so let's move right along here. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc., so give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, and all that jazz. And of course, I also encourage you to check out the Ready, Set, Pwn podcast, available on podcast services everywhere. Ready, Set, Pwn is your premier source for everything Vancouver Titans and Toronto Defiant and Canadian Overwatch League. Of course, I am the third chair on that podcast with my hosts, Chris at Lightforce and Omni at Omni Alex, sorry, at Omni Strife. We talk every week about the Overwatch League and in particular the goings-ons in the Vancouver Titans organization and the Toronto Defiant organization. If you have not been following Ready Set Pwn, please check out our past few episodes as we did bonus episodes for every day of the summer showdown tournament in toronto and it was a ton of fun it was a a blast to be a part of and uh the toronto organization was kind enough to give us access to uh the media room for questions and post-match interviews with players and coaches um as well as uh a few other little perks so check out the ready set pwn podcast for all of that now I can't wait to dive into everything we've got coming up here. However, I am a little bit under the weather as of recording this episode. Um, I'm a little bit sick, so I don't know how long I'm going to be able to go for. So, without further ado, let's dive on in. Group up with me! Well, here we go into the news segment of the show. Now, of course, this week, as you probably know, we have a ton to cover, but I've kind of broken things up into sort of two main little uh, sections here. So first, I want to start with some Overwatch League news because a few things definitely have transpired on the Overwatch League side of things. And then, of course, we'll dive into the big news everyone's talking about with Overwatch 2 Explained. We're going to cover the Battle Pass. We're going to cover a little bit about the uh, new map. We're going to cover a little bit about the new heroes. We're also going to cover sort of any miscellaneous that came up through those uh, those stories and those news articles that we're posting and breaking uh, earlier this week, uh, if not, uh, I mean, towards the end of last week and everything like that. So let's start by looking at the Overwatch League. All right, so for our first article here, we're actually going to head on over to Twitter because that's the best source I could find on this. I didn't really see anyone reporting on it, but... Over on September 15th, the Los Angeles Valiant tweeted out, After mutual agreement, No Hill will no longer be with us as the coach for the rest of the season. We are proud of what you have done, and we truly appreciate the effort you have made to get us this far. Thank you, No Hill. We wish you the very best in your journeys ahead. And they then replied to that tweet and said, Meanwhile, our assistant coach at Haruhi underscore OW will take up the role as coach. Good luck. Now, I'm not actually familiar with their, uh, their assistant coach there. Um... So, unfortunately, I didn't pull anything up. Let me let me just take a quick peek. 
Uh, yep, looks like just Haruhi. Uh, I've, I've obviously don't follow the Valiant too closely, um, but I know it was a pretty big deal that they had No Hill as coach. Um, you know, he's got a pretty impressive track record in the league, so it, it seemed like uh, you know potentially there were some good things happening in the Valiant organization. Um, obviously, they they do mention the mutual agreement side there, which usually means that you know he wasn't happy, the org wasn't necessarily too happy, or he just you know, wanted to leave and they were happy to oblige. So there you have it. No Hill parting ways with the Los Angeles Valiant. Now, other than that, we have some other news coming from the Eastern region. So we'll stick with Twitter, but this time we're going to jump on over to the Guangzhou Charges Twitter account where on September 16th at 8.50 p.m., they tweeted, he's coming in with two title championships, Summer Showdown 2020 and Countdown Cup 2021, and reuniting with our head coach. Let's give a warm welcome to Ty Dalla, who will be rejoining the charge as an assistant coach. And of course, they've got a nice little graphic announcing welcome Ty Dalla to the team there. So Ty Dalla joining as assistant coach. Of course, Ty Dalla, uh, I believe previously with the Los Angeles Gladiators, um, at least I think last season he was. I'm not too sure if he's been there this season, but I digress. He's got a, a pretty decent history and some good experience with the Overwatch League. And then a mere 10 minutes later, the Guangzhou Charge account also tweets out, It's been a long month for this wandering cowboy, but at last his journey begins him brings him sorry to a new home. Fantastically flexible, awesomely aggressive, the newest member of our family. Please join us in welcoming Piggy to the Guangzhou Charge. And they've got this excellent graphic, Welcome Piggy. Although, of course, they did apparently use a, a quite an old image of Piggy. He's apparently lost quite a bit of weight. He's been hitting the gym quite a bit. Um, so I'm sure that uh, he wasn't too thrilled with that. But I digress. Guangzhou, making some making some moves, that's for sure. I know uh, going into the, the summer showdown there, I think they signed like three new players. Um, so definitely making some changes. Uh, potentially vying for a spot in, of course, the Summer Showdown... No, sorry. The Countdown Cup, um, and hoping to not be that bottom team in the Eastern region that gets left out from uh, from the finals. So, congratulations to the Guangzhou Charge. Hopefully, No Hill finds, uh, finds a new place to be, but wanted to bring those up. Now we're going to head on over to DottieSports.com with an article by Max Michelli posted on September 15th, which reads, Overwatch League posts declining viewership averages for Summer Showdown. With Overwatch 2 just around the corner, the Overwatch League seems to be struggling to maintain average viewership statistics on broadcasts for its mid-season tournaments. The Overwatch League's Summer Showdown this past week posted a declining year-over-year -year average and peak viewership compared to the same event in 2021, according to a report by Esports Charts. With an average of around 28,700 viewers, the event peaked at 51,988 viewers on official OWL broadcasts. The numbers are down significantly from last year when the 2021 Summer Showdown posted an average of 48,100 viewers, peaking at 70,082. Year-over-year average viewership for the Summer Showdown is down 40.5%. The lower viewership figures for OWL e events this year are a trend ahead of Blizzard's release of Overwatch 2, as esports charts reported earlier today. Last season, the Overwatch League had four tournaments outside of the regular season schedule, and the plan this year was a similar format. Prior to the Summer Showdown, other events posted notably fewer viewers on average compared to their predecessors. The kickoff clash in May and June had an average of around 50,200 viewers, down 22.4% from the May Melee tournament held last year, which averaged around 69,100. Meanwhile, the Midseason Madness averaged about 37,800 viewers, down 27.4% from last year's June Joust, which averaged around 52,100 viewers. 
Total airtime could be a contributing factor to this sharp decline in average viewership. The 2022 Summer Showdown had the second most airtime of any OWL tournament in the past two years, with 147 hours. That's 52 more hours than the 2021 Summer Showdown's 95 hours of airtime. But despite the large bump in airtime from last year, the event's 4.2 million hours watched is still down from last year, according to esports charts. So, interesting article here. What does it really mean, if you ask me? Truly, it means very little. Um, I definitely don't don't you know uh, read too much into these statistics. Although you know, of course, this is how the Overwatch League sells sponsorships and things like that, um, and potentially how organizations and teams would uh, would sell sponsorships as well and make those marketing deals. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's entirely unheard of for a six. Uh, are we at six years old? Is that right? A six-year-old game. Um, of course, to to see declining numbers as time goes on. Uh, yes, last year did see some impressive numbers and some spikes compared to prior seasons, but the prior season to that, of course, was the first COVID season when things were really tough, and the league definitely struggled to figure things out for a while uh, in terms of work from home and streaming from home and, and things like that and how to make a safe environment for everyone. So I digress. Very interesting stuff. The, the statistics that aren't covered here, of course, is live viewership. Now, um, with with the summer showdown, of course, we know it was in Toronto in the Madame Athletic Center, but at the same time, obviously, that has a capacity of around four thousand people, so it's not going to bump up the the viewership, um, you know, twenty thousand or something like that to match last year's or anything like that. But that is still not uh, not included um, in the counts. Now, I digress. The point is, overall, I think uh, although we're playing on Overwatch Two, which is the the first season. The first uh, sort of time anyone in the public has been able to see Overwatch 2 um, to a significant degree, you know, I don't think it really matters because once Overwatch 2 officially launches in October, we're then, of course, going to have a little bit of overlap uh, for the, um, the Countdown Cup and the Grand Finals, of course. I would expect the Grand Finals will see some higher than average um, maybe not higher than average, but an increase in viewership. I think, generally speaking, as we approach or as we come into the sort of middle tournaments, so that second and third tournaments of the season, I think it's pretty normal to see a decline because, of course, you know, the, the first tournament we see a spike because everyone's excited, the league is back, oh, there's maybe some new people hearing about it for the first time simply because of the fact that, hey, it's new, it's been in the off season for however long. Then I think viewership declines as the season goes on and by the third tournament, I think maybe, you know, some of the people that were around for the first or second or both um, have kind of dropped off a little bit of fatigue has set in but then i think things typically start to go back up once you reach that fourth tournament cycle um, and lead into the grand finals and everything like that so i digress i'm not surprised at all to see these numbers down um, it is a little bit lower than you know i think most people would like uh, I, I think generally speaking we would all like it to be higher but i digress again i don't think we should read into this too much i think the hype around overwatch 2 is going to see an increase uh, in the Countdown Cup and, of course, the Grand Finals this year. And then as we lead into uh, Season 6 of the Overwatch League, I think it's only going to spike even higher because, of course, at that point, you have to consider Overwatch 2 will be, um, you know, fully launched. Um, we may by then even be seeing some of the PvE content that should bring in more and more people into the Overwatch 2 ecosystem. And hopefully they'll do a good job promoting the Overwatch League, of course, and get some bleed over from uh, both the live game and the PvE and everything like that. So that's all I really have to say about the viewership. Um, like I say, it's down, but I'm not too surprised by that.
Moving on, we're going to stick with .esports.com, this time an article by Liz Richardson, and actually our final article about the Overwatch League before we jump into everything Overwatch 2. So, this article reads, Overwatch League 2022 Grand Finals headed to Anaheim Convention Center later this fall, and this is written by Liz Richardson. Though this year's tournaments have been held everywhere from Dallas to Toronto, the Overwatch League is returning to a more familiar venue for its fifth Grand Finals event. The 2022 Finals will be held at the Anaheim Convention Center in Anaheim, California, from October 30th to November 4th, the Overwatch League announced today. Most longtime fans of the game or league will recognize this as the usual home of BlizzCon, which is often held during that weekend. Due to COVID-19, BlizzCon has been held in different formats for the past few years. The event will likely be returning in 2023, but the Overwatch League will take up residence during the standard BlizzCon weekend this year. This will be the first in-person Overwatch League Grand Finals in three years. In 2022, sorry, in 2020 and 2021, the event was held online with West Region teams traveling to Hawaii for lower ping to compete with the East Region counterparts. The San Francisco Shock took home their second franchise championship in 2020, and the Shanghai Dragons earned a well-deserved trophy in 2021. According to the Overwatch League website, each region will have localized online play-ins before the remaining teams travel to Anaheim to participate in a double-limb playoffs bracket, which begins on October 31st. That's right, Halloween. The 2022 League Championships, sorry, Champions, will take home a $1 million grand prize in the iconic Sparkling Trophy, with a total prize pool of $2.55 million. Teams will be doing their best to bring home the bacon from California. They'll also be dealing with either a boon or a complication, depending on how each team sees the addition of a new support hero. Sean Miller, head of the Overwatch League, confirmed on Twitter over the weekend that Overwatch 2's newest hero, Kiriko, will be available during the playoffs. Ticket information for Grand Finals isn't listed on the website at time of writing, but newsletter a newsletter sent by the Overwatch League says ticket presales begin on September 23rd. So, exciting announcements for the Overwatch League Grand Championships Grand Championships, Grand Finals, whatever you want to call them, uh, that we will see, of course, not only a return to the Anaheim Convention Center, where BlizzCon has been hosted in previous years, but also a return to a live event for the Overwatch League Grand Finals. I think that is probably the biggest piece of news to pull from this article, is the fact that not only are the players going to be live, but there will be an audience, uh, everyone will be on LAN, everyone will be in one individual location, uh, which should be very very exciting i think if uh if the um summer showdown in toronto showed me anything it's the fact that uh the overwatch league is at its finest at its best when it is live and the fans love it and everyone loves it and the casters love it and the crew loves it so i'm very much looking forward to seeing this event um i think it should be a great time and uh and, and by all means you know i th i think everyone will be extremely hyped to be back in action live so there you have it. Now that's going to be it for our Overwatch League news. But we're going to head on over to playoverwatch.com. And this is an article, a news article, sorry, that they dropped on September 15th. Now this article reads Overwatch 2 Explained, Battle Pass, Shop, Hero Unlocks, and more. So I'm going to dive in here and I'm actually going to go through as much of this article as I can. If my voice cuts out, because again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I am a little under the weather then I'll have to jump to just sort of doing bullet points um, and, and kind of pulling out the, the important information. But I'm going to do my best to struggle through this and hopefully see you on the other side. So without further ado, let's get in there. Overwatch 2 releases October 4th and will usher in a new era for the game. The changes we're making will support our goals to deliver more content to the game more regularly, all while helping more players than ever before experience the Overwatch universe. 
Moving to free-to-play for Overwatch 2, together with enabling cross-platform with cross-progression, means anyone can access the game and join their friends for free, which we are incredibly excited about. At the same time, we know this is a big transition that involves many changes. One of our goals is to make sure our game provides plenty of entertainment, fun, and expression, no matter how much you spend, even if you choose to spend nothing at all. When Overwatch 2 launches, we'll be delivering more in one drop than we've delivered since the original game launched in 2016. This includes three new heroes which will be available immediately to returning Overwatch players who log in during Season 1 or Season 2. We understand you have many questions about how our live service will work, so we're here to answer them. All right, now this is the part where I jump out of the story and I realize that, you know what? I have struggled a number of times already just completing those few sentences that I've already read. So I'm actually not gonna go through the whole article and read it for you. But what I am gonna do is I'll jump over to my notes and we'll summarize a lot of what they say. If you're interested, Google or go to playoverwatch.com and go to their news section, you'll find this story, Overwatch 2 Explained, Battle Pass, Shop, Hero Unlocks, and more. Of course, if you don't feel like doing that, and you also don't want to listen to this show, then go check out .esports.com. They have numerous breakdowns of everything that's in here across a number of different articles. Um, you can kind of pick and choose what you read there. If you're not into that, go check out Dexerto.com. They did a similar thing, and you can probably find it many other places across the internet. These are just a couple of the places that I checked, uh, you know, when, when making the notes for this. So, let me go into some of the, the, the items that I have pulled out, and we'll kind of talk about them one by one. So first, uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the seasonal model that they mentioned. So in the seasonal model, the first thing they talk about is the content roadmap. Now, of course, we've seen the content roadmap before. This is some of that promotional or, or key art image that they released where it's kind of got this big Overwatch 2 branding. The action begins October 4th. They've got a game overview, which outlines, you know, sort of the the bigger kind of changes or, or, you know, alterations to the game from the previous one, then they've got the content roadmap beneath that. So in the game overview, they list free to play live service, we knew that PvP reimagined, it's 5v5 now, we knew that seasonal model. Um, so they did, uh, I'm not sure if they had announced before, but they do confirm here free updates every nine weeks to ensure there's always something new to experience. They've also highlighted cross progression um, and cross play. And then of course, the final one, is PVE experiences where they say push the story forward through PVE experiences beginning in 2023. So of course, again, that is further down the road. We knew that already, but nonetheless, they highlight it here. Beneath that in the content roadmap, they outline October 4th, we've got season one, December 6th, we start season two, and then 2023, they've got future seasons listed. So again, we've seen this part of the graphic before for sure. I, I know we've seen this because I've talked about it before. Um, and they highlight what's coming in season one. So season one, three new heroes, six new maps, 30 plus new skins, new battle pass, new mythic skin, new game mode. Season two, new tank hero, new map, 30 plus new skins, new battle pass, new mythic skin. Then future seasons, just new heroes, new maps, new skins, new battle passes, new modes, PvE begins. So nothing groundbreaking here. Um, I can't recall if they had formally announced that it was a new tank hero coming with the season two in December 6th. But obviously, uh, a part of what we'll talk about here is the fact that in season one, October 4th, they highlight three new heroes. So we'll get to it eventually. But of course, they did announce the newest hero is Kiriko, um, a new support hero. So that means... When the game launches, we will have Sojourn, a new DPS character, we'll have um, Junker Queen, a new tank character, and then we'll have Kiriko, a new support character. So one new new character in each category of, uh, of character. Of course, we will also get to it, but Junker Queen and Sojourn are coming available to all players, and Kiriko 
will be available to all players, especially if you own Overwatch 1, and there's there's some little caveats there, but we'll talk about that in a bit here. So we've seen that content roadmap before. Now, one thing that uh, they do talk about early on in this article that we didn't know is they actually confirm they will be doing a new hero, new map, alternating seasons after these first few seasons. So of course, we have three new heroes in season one, we have a new hero in season two, and then I believe after that, it means new map will be in season three, new hero in season four, new map in season five, new hero in season six. And I think later on in the article as well, they actually confirm new heroes coming seasons one and two, but then it'll be two and uh, sorry, season four and season six. So alternating seasons, every other season, hero, map, hero, map, etc. You get it. That's great. We didn't know that before. Um, and, you know, although there are, as they mentioned in season one, going to be six new maps, and then we know in season two, there's going to be another new map. They are kind of front loading things, obviously, to keep players interested, keep players there. But then they start to stagger things. Of course, they're naturally going to see a bit of player drop off and a bit of uh, lessened interest in the game you know that's that's only natural as as people do move on to other games and other games come out and other games make changes and things like that but nonetheless it is very exciting to know that that is the cadence they're hoping to stick to um the the, the really interesting part about that as well is that i don't know that uh, other competitive multiplayer shooters have have sort of laid out things that way. Um, I could be wrong because I certainly don't follow, you know, Valorant or Apex or uh, Warzone or uh, Fortnite um, or some of these other uh, competitive shooters, uh, Counter-Strike, in the same way that I follow Overwatch. But of course, it is very exciting to know that we're going to have map, hero, map, hero, map, hero. And it's only every nine weeks, which is really a short period of time when you consider the greater picture of a live service game that goes on and on and on and on. So I digress. Let's move on. The next thing that they talk about in the article there is that each season is going to have a new battle pass. Now they dive into the battle passes a little bit here, which I'll go into in more detail. But one thing that they mention here is that each new battle pass is going to have a unique theme, which is really exciting. Um, and honestly, it's interesting that they're doing this because this is always something that I felt like they kind of would would touch on a little bit, but then they would also like just go outside of it for no apparent reason. I always kind of thought that when they did these drops of, of heroes, whether it be, you know, the Summer Games, for example, right? They, they always would... Um, release some sort of sports themed uh, uh, skins and things like that. And that was always great. But there'd always be like a few random weird ones. Um, or, you know, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example of one. Uh, when we would get skins like um, Sigma has his Flying Dutchman skin, which is pretty clearly like a pirate style skin. And then Junkrat has one as well. And then Baptiste has one as well. But they would never drop in the same uh, update or batch of skins or anything like that. And I always thought that was a little weird. I always thought, you know, why don't you just have a consistent theme and okay, all of the, whatever you want to, whatever theme you want to go with cyberpunk skins drop with this update or with this special event. Yes. Of course, if you're doing a lunar new year skin, um, sorry, event, you theme a bunch of skins around the lunar new year, but why not just make it clear what the the sort of themes are going to be? So obviously there's going to be a Lunar New Year group, so five skins will be Lunar New Year themed, but then why not also say it's also going to be bundled with the pirate group for no apparent reason, and there's going to be five pirate-themed skins? Like I just always thought that would make more sense um, and, and be 
kind of a lot cooler and probably honestly provide a lot more direction to your teams um, because then you could assign teams hey you guys are designing the pirate skins that will drop on this date kind of thing but i digress that's what they're doing with each season it's going to be uh they say unique themes up to 80 plus unlockable tiers of cosmetics and it's all going to be that single theme so the first season is going to be that cyberpunk theme of course we've seen the trailer we've seen a lot of these skins um if you look through the this article here you'll see a lot of them we see a roadhog one uh we see a widowmaker one we see one for kuriko the new the new hero we see a zenyatta one we see a hanzo one we see pardon me a sojourn one um as well as i think there's a few others that we do catch glimpses of um oh we see diva has one um and then of course as we'll talk about again we get to the mythic skin which again i'll talk about in a minute here so really exciting stuff there um i'm i'm really glad they're doing that as i you know just discussed it never really made sense to me the old style way of just hey we're just going to drop a bunch of skins and yeah some of them will be themed but some of them will just be completely random so they also, of course, confirm once again, loot boxes are gone, which we knew. That's why everyone's loot boxes were opened up a couple weeks back um, by the game automatically. They are, of course, phasing, they were phasing those out and they are now gone, no longer available for purchase on any of the stores, I believe. And this is where they go into talking about the new in-game shop. So this is actually something that I'm not surprised at all. Um, and, and I mean, we knew this was coming. Um, and if you've played games like Call of Duty, you probably have a, or uh, Warzone, I should say, you probably have a pretty good idea of what this will look like. Um, I, although I obviously haven't seen it. I am kind of inferring a lot uh, just based on other games and, and, and other Activision properties that I've played. Uh, one that actually even comes to mind in a similar vein to the Warzone uh, store is actually the um what was it called crash nitro refueled uh basically the the crash team racing uh remake bundle that came out uh probably a couple of years back at this point it was crash team racing and crash nitro cart in one package revamped and everything like that and it actually had a store that was very similar there were lots of themes and you know each week was rotating uh you know a rotating list of character skins you could get and carts you could get and all sorts of stuff like that and i always thought that was kind of weird in that game because i was kind of like how many people are really playing this game that much like yes i personally love the crash team racing games uh those two in particular that i think they were the only two that i actually played in if there were other crash team racing games anyways i digress they were awesome i loved them but I never really thought that anyone would be sticking with that game to that extent to unlock all these skins or to want to purchase all of them and that kind of thing. So I digress in, it was almost like they were trying to make it into a live service game, but you know, just being a kart racer, I was kind of like, I don't think this is going to be the hit that they think they have. You know, it's not going to be a Mario Kart competitor. Anyways, I think in a live service game, this totally makes sense. You know, they're going to have a, a, a store. Um, it's going to have featured cosmetic items each week. So likely, you know, there'll, there'll be lesser skins or um, some of these other unlocks that I'll talk about in a minute as well. Kind of cycling through um, for everyone to get or purchase. I'm sure you'll be able to unlock some of them on the, the battle pass and other ones you will just have to buy if you want them. And then, of course, they also talk about there's going to be a just for you section, which will actually be based on what you prefer to play. So I'm assuming there's some algorithm behind it that will look at your playtime on heroes and it'll probably make recommendations based on the heroes you play, but also based on what you prefer to equip, it says. So if you're equipping, you know, uh, I don't know, a lot of uh, keychains to your gun or whatever, I forget what those keychains are called, then maybe they'll recommend more of those for you and that kind of thing. So 
anyways, kind of a cool feature, kind of a Instagram-esque if you ask me, which I'm not too crazy about. I think the Instagram algorithm is pretty broken, honestly. But I digress. Kind of neat. They then go into talking more about the Battle Pass. And they say, of course, the Battle Pass, just like in all these other games that I've mentioned, is free with a premium Battle Pass available. So one thing that they highlight here is they want the Battle Pass to be fair, enjoyable, and rewarding. So I like that they've got these kind of three keywords in there. Obviously, you know, who's to say if they'll, they'll stick to that and everything like that. But they want it to be fair. So they want everyone to have, you know, kind of a decent chance at unlocking things. They want it to be enjoyable. So they don't want it to be a super difficult grind and everything like that. And they want it to be rewarding. So they're, in my opinion, hopefully that translates to not throwing crap at you. Hopefully these rewards will feel at least somewhat uh, exciting to unlock and things like that. Of course, going into what you can unlock, they talk about name cards where it's basically a nameplate. This comes directly from Call of Duty, if, if you ask me. I can't remember if this was first introduced with World at War or Modern Warfare 2, but it's those name cards that you know you've got your name in the top corner with your little logo well now you're actually going to be able to change the background behind your name and that kind of thing so they're adding those in they've got these charms which are the those are the keychains i was mentioning before i believe where they're these little things that clip onto your weapon and you can look at them and, and they're kind of cool i guess um i personally actually really like them i think that's cool and then they've also got souvenirs and this was actually a new item that they also showed off um where it's Basically, as far as I can tell, it's an emote where you kind of pull out a sort of a little trophy, and it's just like a little digital in-game, I don't know, trophy that you've got. Um, so it may be something, you know, not, not an actual trophy. It may be a little model of, I don't know, uh, a, a, a phone or a tire. I have no idea. I just picked those two things completely randomly. But just little things that your character will just kind of pull out their pocket, hold in their hand, you know, people can look at it, and then they'll put it away. Um, for someone like me who loves the game of chasing rare items and things like that, uh, I could see this being extremely addicting. Now, I personally like the charms a little better than the souvenirs because I don't find myself emoting outside of really, you know, the spawn room and that kind of thing. But I digress. I'm excited for both of these. Then they also talk about the new hearable, hearable, hero earnable through the battle pass. So again, season one, everyone gets Junker Queen. Everyone gets Sojourn. They then mention that Overwatch 1 owners, as long as you log in during Season 1 or 2, you automatically get Kiriko. Now, they kind of contradict themselves in this article about that, so I'm not 100% sure that's right. I know I will be getting it because I did, or getting Kiriko, I should say, because I did get the Founders Pack, um, but I'm I'm hoping that uh, that is the case, and it's anyone who had Overwatch 1 will get her as well. Um Moving on from there, they actually break down what exactly is unlockable in these free rewards uh, across 20 tiers. So essentially what they say is there's going to be a total of 80 total tiers. Unlockable free rewards will be essentially every 20 or so tiers. Um, now, I don't think it is actually going to be on 1, 20, 40, 60, 80. I think it's like anywhere between 1 and 20 you are guaranteed to get something between 20 and 40. You're guaranteed to get something between that kind of thing. Because they actually have a graphic in here which shows 51 through 60, and it shows a free unlock on 51, it shows a free unlock on 56, it shows a free unlock on 58. But then the 60 is locked behind premium, as is, uh, you know, 52, 53, 54, 56, 57, 59. So I think it's kind of more spread. It's not necessarily um, an even division. 
I do hope that this means that they kind of maybe front load things in, in in some ways, just because most people won't make it through the full battle pass. Of course, they're probably going to, you know, spread things out a little bit. Um, but right now, looking at this, it does show what appears to be Kuriko on 56 as the free reward. So essentially what this is saying is that anyone playing the free battle pass can unlock her if they reach level 56. Now, if you have the premium battle pass, you'll be unlocking things at a much more rapid pace because you'll be getting something essentially 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way up to 56. But on the free battle pass, you can still unlock her. Just have to put in more hours, essentially. But again, they break down what's actually in here. So they talk about uh, unlockable free rewards in 20 tiers spread throughout 80 plus total tiers. And they outline Kiriko, two epic skins, one weapon charm, two souvenirs, one highlight intro, 14 other items. And then if you complete the entire thing, they go into prestige tier titles. So these are eight earnable titles that are only available after completing the entire battle pass. So this is going to be for, you know, in theory, the most hardcore of hardcore, the people that are putting in the absolute most hours, the people that are diehard about this game. I'm hopeful that at least in season one, maybe in season two, uh, I can unlock one of these. Um, I, I will admit season one being October through November. Um, I'm going to be playing the game quite a bit, at least for October. Uh, but after that, I mean, hey, I, you know, I play a lot of games and God of War, uh, the sequel to God of War 2018, God of War Ragnarok is coming out in November. So once November hits, I'm going to be shifting gears pretty hard. And, you know, I will play that game more frequently than Overwatch just because it's a, you know, single player story based narrative game. So I really want to, you know, get through it to avoid spoilers and everything like that. I'm sure I'll have many hours with it. Um, you know, I won't beat it quickly, but I digress. Uh, my Overwatch playtime will decrease at that point. Um, but I'm hopeful I can get through at least the bulk of the uh, the battle pass because I do want to try and earn that uh, mythic, uh, mythic Genji skin, which we'll talk about in a minute here as well. Um, and outside of that, I really kind of want to see how many hours it does take to complete that full battle pass. Now... Again, because I got the Founders Pack, I have guaranteed Season 1 Battle Pass, I have guaranteed Season 2 Battle Pass, and Season 3 Battle Pass, if I want to spend my uh, Overwatch coins on those Battle Passes. So, I probably will be a little bit stingy, they'll have to entice me with Seasons 2 and 3, but I digress, I'm looking forward to this. Now, let's continue on. So, this is the part where they really break down the Season 1 Premium Battle Pass. So... Contained within the Season 1 Premium Battle Pass, 60 additional tiers to unlock, okay? So that's the total of 80 in addition to the 20 free tiers that everyone unlocks, right? As I mentioned before, at the end of this is the Mythic Tier skin. So this is, of course, for the first season, it's going to be that Cyber Demon Genji. If you haven't seen this skin, go check it out. This is just a beautiful skin. Honestly, I look at this thing. And this is exactly what I had talked about previously. It is a, first of all, it's a dope skin on its on its own, but they give you options to color customize different parts of it and assumedly mix and match them to make your own sort of cyber demon Genji skin. I'm really excited for this. I think this one looks incredible. Um, as I've probably talked about before, I don't play Genji hardly ever. I'm just not a good Genji. But if I can get this cyber demon Genji skin... I will put this shit on Genji so fast because it's so cool. Moving on from there, they break down the rewards a little further that come with the premium battle pass skin. Uh, sorry, premium battle pass. 
And some of these are actually quite interesting. So first of all, we've got immediate access to Kuriko. As I mentioned in that image they showed uh, with the battle pass there, they do show Kuriko at level 56, and it says free 56. So that says to me that's the, the free path to unlock her. You buy the battle pass, you get Kuriko right off the bat. Great. I do wonder if there's going to be something else on level 56 for those people that have already unlocked her. And of course, if I look back on that battle pass image I mentioned before, they do show at level 56. It's got that sort of card that shows Kuriko, but then it's actually got a little two in the corner, which says to me, you're probably getting two items for that, uh, that level of the battle pass. And of course, next to, uh, the, I don't know, an icon above that card, they've also got a second icon, which looks to be a little cat. Um, I think it's got a purple underline, which I think potentially means it's a, uh, one of those keychains. What were those called again? Uh, a weapon charm of the little cat. And I believe the little cat is potentially the i mean i put it i think it might be the fox it might be just kuriko has a cat as well as her little fox partner i haven't even talked about kuriko yet so we'll just move on moving on from there they also say that the premium battle pass comes with a 20 percent xp battle pass boost so essentially if you are on the free path you're working your way through these things let's say it costs just for argument's sake 10 xp to get from one to two and then 10 xp to get from two to three and then 10 xp to get from three to four it's obviously, I'm sure it's going to scale, but just for example, that's what it is. If you have a 20% XP battle pass boost, of course, to get from 1 to 3, that would have been 30. To get from 1 to 3 with the 20% boost, you will take 2 off of each of those, so it'll be 8, 16, 24. So you'll get there um, a little quicker kind of thing. Again, that was some simple math just for argument's sake, but you can think about it further than that. Uh, I would think the 20% XP battle pass boost is going to be feel pretty significant if you, um, you know, if you do the, the free path and then you change over to the premium battle pass or vice versa, right? So I very well may experience that at some point. You also get the mythic skin from completing uh, the premium battle pass. You get five leg, five leg, five legendary skins and one epic skin, three play of the game intros, four weapon charms, three emotes, three souvenirs, six poses, six name cards, and 30 plus additional items. That's a lot of stuff, eh? Um, of course, you know, you've also heard me talk on the show before about the fact that I'm actually not too crazy about these sort of extra things that they have in the game. I like the skins and, you know, the emotes, even the intros, but like, I'm not crazy about the sprays. I'm not crazy about the voice lines. I'm not crazy about, is there anything else? Uh, the poses even that, that show, you know, before the play of the match, when a match ends and that kind of thing. Obviously you're going to be unlocking those as well. Um, you know, they're not taking them out of the game. They want to reuse as much as possible. Plus this way they've got so many different things they can pull from, right? Um, I mean, just in that, in that list alone, they've got name cards, they've got poses, they've got souvenirs, they've got emotes, they've got weapon charms, they've got intros, they've got different levels of skins. So like that's six items plus five different levels of skins. They've got 11 things to choose from. They could give you a ton of garbage that you have no desire for, which is guaranteed. I mean, with this battle pass, of course, you're going to get things you don't really care about. But moving on from there, all in all, premium battle pass costs 1000 Overwatch coins, which equates roughly to $10, they say in the article. Now, that is a little bit of a question mark to me because is that I mean, assumedly, that's 10 US dollars. I'm, of course, based in Canada. Is that going to be 15? We're going to pay the Canadian tax, or is it going to be 20? You know, they could get a little, little interesting with that. I hope 
it's ten dollars regardless again because i bought the founders pass i have i think three thousand coins to start which means i could save those and you know use those three thousands on seasons two season three and season four if i want i believe it's three thousand uh coins anyways i digress moving on from there they talk a little bit about the progression so of course they outline you know you play the game you earn xp just like always that's exactly how it's always been but they also talk about there's going to be daily and weekly challenges that will grant you the ability to earn even more xp so um you know again just like uh crash bandicoot that i was referring to before that uh, that nitro refueled game or Warzone, you know, there will be challenges. Uh, I, I couldn't say for sure what it'll be. Um, I'm sure they will get more creative than this. But for example, you know, kill 20 people as Junker Queen or, uh, you know, hit three people with one rampage as Junker Queen. Um, maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, use Genji's blade and get three kills or maybe use Genji's blade and get no kills. You know, hopefully it won't be things like that because that kind of incentivizes people to throw a game. Um, but I digress. Hopefully they'll be semi-skill-based, but at least attainable, um, just because that will give you XP boosts, which, in theory, will help you uh, progress through the battle pass even quicker. They also highlight that there's actually a group-up bonus. So it says you get a 20% bonus XP on top of your match XP. So I believe it'll be the same as before, where if you complete a match, you get some bonus experience. But it does mention that if you're grouped up, you will also get 20% bonus XP on top of that XP. So, you know, you only get, let's say, I don't know, 20 XP or 200 XP for completing a match, but you'll get a 20% bonus on that 200. So there you go. Then, of course, they also talk about the fact that those prestige tiers will come into play after you complete a battle pass. So this actually is kind of interesting to me because this harkens back to Call of Duty 4, the original Modern Warfare um, where of course you, uh, once you completed the sort of main, uh, level group, I forget what it was. I think it was one to 60. You could of course reset that and it would drop down to one and then you could do it all again, but you had a different icon right next to your name. So it's essentially that same thing. I don't know if your actual level will change or it'll just be a new icon saying that you're prestige or something like that, but it'll be maxed out. But I digress. Those prestige tiers allow you to unlock uh, sort of bonus name titles uh, that I believe will show on your player card. So I am hopeful that I'll get one at one point or another. Um, I can only imagine how many hours it would take to get sort of the the final prestige tier and things like that. Um, I, I truly don't believe I will have the time in, in a day, given given that, you know, I work an 8 to 5 and I am married and a father and things like that, father to a 4-year-old. So who knows? We'll see. I'll, uh, I'll try and get in as much as I can. Moving on from there, they talk, of course, about new heroes. So... This is not going to be specific about Kiriko. Uh, we will get to Kiriko after all of this, but they talked a little bit about their design philosophy moving into Overwatch 2. So they talk about reducing the presence of specific hard counter, uh, hard to counter heroes. So it's really interesting because what this essentially says, and you can go read this in the article because they give an actual example of, um, I believe, you know, someone playing Cassidy and then someone playing Tracer and countering each other and things like that. But what this actually says is they're shifting to more of a classic sort of hero, uh, hero-based hero game uh, style, where if you look at a game like League of Legends, you have many heroes that all have the same sort of core mechanic, but their gameplay is just a little different. And that enables you to have less hard counters, where if I'm playing, I don't know, 
Farah, you go to soldier because you can pick her out of the sky or widow because you can, you know, one shot her out of the sky and that kind of thing. Um, so this will really kind of change things so that you have, you know, maybe two or three different choices that all have a similar play style to soldier or a similar play style to um, Kiriko even or, or Anna or something like that, right? So really interesting and should increase the variety of what we see. Although I'm sure there will always be, you know, more sort of quote unquote meta defining picks. I think this will uh, overall improve the, the variety of what we see in the game. So that's exciting. They also talk about the fact that with these new seasons, they will actually delay allowing the uh, new heroes in competitive for two weeks. And this is something that is pretty normal in the competitive scene. Uh, I believe League of Legends does this. I think even Valorant does it where a new hero or character cannot be played in competitive for at least two weeks. And that is just to allow a sort of more dynamic meta to form uh, before introducing this new character where people just, you know, start wrecking shop and, and uh, you know, because it's unbalanced and things like that. So they also then highlight that there will be ways to earn heroes introduced in earlier seasons and future seasons, which was a concern, right? When rumors first started to fly about this battle pass and people heard that Kiriko was was essentially paywalled in the battle pass, they were worried that, well, what if I don't reach the level that you unlock her at? Um, and so they did mention and specifically highlight that, look, if you miss Kiriko in the first battle pass, you'll still be able to earn her in future seasons. It's not the end of the world, which which is great. And I mean, if you look at a game again, like League of Legends, they have literally hundreds of heroes, right? It would be almost impossible for a new player to jump into the game and purchase all the heroes, right? That would be very expensive. Um, I'm not even sure if you can just straight out purchase them. But um, they will give you the opportunity to unlock these heroes if you've missed out on them in prior seasons, you know, as time goes on. So that, of course, brings us to the end of the talk about new heroes. And this is where they transition to talk about new maps in limited time events. So of course we know that we have a handful of new maps coming, Circuit Royale, Colosseo, Midtown, uh, New Queen Street, Parisio. Um, and they've also shown off a little bit of some other maps, right? We've seen, uh, I believe a Swedish map, um, a, a Torbjorn centric map kind of thing. And of course they actually here unveiled the name of the new Portugal map, which I believe is pronounced Esperanza, but I could be incorrect about that. But I digress. This is the Portugal map that they had announced earlier, but they officially gave it a name and said it will be coming in the, in the future season. So it's not going to release with the game. Um, I'm not sure if that means that it will be the map that drops in season two. Um, or potentially season three, but it is coming. So they, they showed off and talked about that just a little bit. Um, I don't really have a ton to say about that, just because, again, you know, it's a new push map. We know that much. Um, so adding to the likes of Coliseo and New Queen Street. But of course, you know, given they only had two maps for, for push mode so far, they, of course, needed another map uh, in there. They then talk about the fact that all maps are going to be available to everyone. So I do think that that's a really good good decision on their part because that will not or mean that they aren't excluding a part of the player base, right? Something that we've seen in in you know past online games um, was if maps were locked behind a paywall or were were separate or specific DLC, then it meant that you could be in, you know, in matchmaking, you could be playing a bunch of maps with a group and then suddenly you get booted from the lobby because the rest of those people that did buy the DLC are on their way to new the new map Creek or whatever. And uh, meanwhile, you didn't purchase the DLC. So now you got to go find a new match um, to play that kind of thing. 
So I think that's a really good call, um, even though not everyone may have access to Kiriko. Um, you know, hopefully she's not too broken or meta-defining. Um, but ultimately, everyone will get access to all of the new maps. So that's a that's a great move on their part. Then, of course, we come to revisiting the limited time game modes and events. So, of course, the first one that's coming in October is a new take on Junkenstein's Revenge. Um, and it's actually called Wrath of the Bride. So they talk... Sorry, that was my dog shaking in the background trying to get my attention. They talk about the limited time events coming back. Um, they do say that we will see, you know, the return of some favorites, but they will also be adding to them, changing them a little bit and things like that. So this Wrath of the Bride is, of course, that uh, som Sombra, sort of uh, Frankenstein's Bride-themed uh, skin, of course. So it's going to have something to do with that, but that's about all we know about that right now. And finally, what's next? They talk about the game launches on October 4th. And of course, PVE is coming in 2023. Whoo, doctor, that was a lot. So that took you essentially through the entire article on playoverwatch.com under the news section. Um, the only thing I didn't go through at all was the FAQ that they posted there. Um, you know, they, they have a whole bunch of questions in there. Again, if you are really interested, if you want to hear more than the half an hour I just spent diving into all of that, then definitely go check out the article and you can go through the FAQ. You know, they've got things that I did cover. What's the theme of Overwatch 2's Season 1 Battle Pass? We know it's cyberpunk, I believe. Uh, yep, that's right. Mythic Genji skin, etc. How can I progress through the battle pass? Uh, what's the content release schedule? What are prestige battle pass tiers? Uh, how can I use my Overwatch League tokens? Oh, that's interesting. There will be an Overwatch League tab in the shop where you can redeem your owl token. Okay, so nothing's changed in there. Um, I actually hadn't hadn't seen that one yet. Anyways, you can check these out if you want to, um, but I'm not going to bother to go into them because I think for the most part, a lot of this was covered. Now, one thing that's interesting, they have a caveat at the very end of this article. Cautionary note regarding forward-looking statements. Unless otherwise explicitly stated, all information, including forward-looking information, are current as of September 15, 2022 only. Forward-looking statements are not facts and involve a number of risks and uncertainties, and forward-looking statements, believed to be true when made, may ultimately prove to be incorrect. Blizzard and Activision Blizzard Undertake no duty to update or revise any forward-looking information contained herein. For more detailed information, please refer to Activision Blizzard's to, uh, 2021 Form 10K and other reports and filings with the SEC. So, note that everything they said could be false as of literally September 16th. So, there you go. Moving on from there. That was a lot. I, I, I will definitely admit that was a lot. If you drop off here, I would not be surprised at all. But... There's more. That's right. We haven't even talked about the new hero yet. I mean, we've mentioned her, but we haven't dove into Kuriko and her abilities. So I now invite you to join me back on September 15th, or still on September 15th, where we hop over to dottiesports.com with an article, article, not an article, article, by Isabella Tomakik, which reads all Kuriko abilities in Overwatch 2. So I'm going to jump uh, into her article here a little bit. Um, so definitely go give Isabella the click on this article. So we're going to look at the primary fire, which is Healing Ofuda. Kiriko's primary healing spell will be Healing Ofuda, which targets allied heroes, throwing them Ofuda's power-imbued healing talismans. As soon as Ofuda reaches an ally, they will be healed. 
Although a powerful ability travels in a series of five projectiles, it has a slow travel speed, meaning that planning and expecting damage is necessary to utilize Kiriko to her fullest potential. So kind of an interesting one. Um, in my mind, let's say a little bit in the vein of maybe Moira, when she throws out her, her healing orb, where it's a it's kind of a traveling uh, projectile, so it is is relatively slow. I know they recently increased the speed of everything Moira, but I digress. Um, kind of travels to a character slowly, so you do have to be a little bit predictive about where damage will be coming from or who will be targeted. Um, or, you know, just be aware of your surroundings and things like that, but interesting stuff there. Secondary fire, kunai. Since Kiriko is a spirited being that does not shy away from the fight, she can throw her kunai with her secondary fire to deal damage. Unlike Ofuda, kunai have rapid travel speed and inflict even more damage if they critically hit an ally. Since this ability will handsomely reward aggressive players used to aiming projectiles, practice your aiming skills beforehand will surely be helpful to your team. So, an interesting one here is that I think they actually posted the damage results of this and if uh kiriko hits you with all i think she throws three kunai at once um or or perhaps you can just throw them very quickly uh subsequently if i'm not mistaken if you take three kunai uh and you are a character with 120 health or less you are dead um I believe, uh, sorry, and actually I think because of the scaling, if all three hit, you actually do even more damage than that. So she could take out uh, those lower health heroes uh, relatively quickly, uh, you know, again, assuming precise aim and, uh, you know, direct hits and things like that. But interesting stuff there because some, some serious damage potential. Swift Step. Since Kiriko embodies this fox spirit, including a vulpine-like movement ability, was necessary to her hero fantasy. Swift Step, similar to Mercy's Guardian Angel ability, allows Kiriko to target an ally hero and teleport to them instantly. Although already strong enough on its own, Swift Step can be used through walls. This powerful spell will come in handy if you're trying to catch up with your team, or if you're looking to save an ally from a guaranteed death. Besides, Swift Step opens up Kiriko as a hero to so many strategic plays that will only reveal itself as we more and more understand her gameplay. So this is a really interesting one because we've never seen an ability like this, right? Of course, as the article mentions there, we have um, Mercy who can use Guardian Angel to zip zap over to a, a person. We have Moira who can, you know, disappear, uh, use her, her, what the heck is it called? Uh, her, her phase shift thing to turn into her little ball and float away and that kind of thing. We have Reaper who can, you know, shadow step out of there and that kind of thing. But Kiriko can actually target an ally through a wall and jump to them, which is really interesting because that definitely changes things up if, if you think you have someone singled out or something like that. Um, and of course, on top of that, that also means that Kiriko is going to, uh, you know, to an extent have an ability to see through walls to see her teammates, which again, could be really interesting. I, I do wonder if that means that Kiriko will, will just have more visibility in general on the battlefield kind of thing. Then we move to the Protection Suzu. Ingeniously designed, Protection Suzu is an ability that, when cast, drops a bell-like item on the ground or onto allies that blesses the allies with immortality for a short period of time and cleanses all current debuffs. Although debuff cleansing normally has reasonable restrictions, Protection Suzu will cleanse all debuffs including ultimate base debuffs and effects from Reinhardt's Earthshatter and Sombra's EMP. Since this already signature ability will be beyond broken in any given meta, it will reportedly have a long cooldown, so wise use of this ability that can easily turn the tides in a losing teamfight will be absolutely necessary. So this one, in my mind, 
is pretty similar to, let's say, BAP's immortality field, right? When that first came out, I, I heard that was coming and I was absolutely stunned at that. I was kind of like, how is that even fair? Like, that's such a game-breaking mechanic. You throw it on the field and it just keeps everyone alive for a period of time. Well, this is kind of in that same vein, right? A little bit more on the um, reactive side than maybe BAP's immortality field, just given that... Uh, you wouldn't want to use this one preemptively, right? Um, you probably would want to wait for that reaction moment to use it. Uh, whereas BAP's Immortality Field, yes, it can obviously be a reactive thing. If someone Earth Shatters, you throw that down and now they're all protected. Um, but they can still take that damage and, and be hurt to an extent. Um, or the Immortality Field could just be destroyed. But the Protection Suzu is almost more like once you've been hit by that Earth Shatter, then you drop the Protection Suzu, it cleanses all your uh, allies. They can essentially move out of the way if Reinhardt was too far away, um, and or they're suddenly fine, right? So, and the fact that it even counters things like Sombra's EMP just kind of blows my mind. I, I do wonder if they may tweak that, but I'm really interested to see how this is going to work. So, then we move on to Kiriko's ultimate ability, which is called Kitsune Rush. Kiriko's ultimate, Kitsune Rush, takes her hero fantasy to the next level with her casting a path of debuffs, debuffs, sorry, no, my goodness, takes her hero fantasy to the next level with her casting a path of buffs for her teammates. In the developer update, Blizzard revealed that her ultimate speed, sorry, ultimate spell will increase allies' movement speed, attack speed, and even reload speed. On top of this, Kiriko's teammates will also gain cooldown reduction, making it almost impossible to lose a fight. Since this ability goes hand-in-hand -hand with strong engages, this reinforces Kiriko's identity as an offensive and aggressive support hero that can effortlessly set up game-changing plays. Kiriko's passive... Oh, and then they move into Kiriko's passive, which Kiriko's passive allows her to climb walls just like Genji and Hanzo. So, Kitsune Rush. Really interesting one. Kind of like a... In some ways, a temporary and not mobile... Um, you know, Lucio boost in that it increases everyone's speed, but it also increase, increases attack speed, reload speed, reduces cooldowns. Really, really powerful this ability seems to be. Um, it will be really interesting to see how people use this. It's almost like um, a bit of a nano boost combined with Lucio's speed boost combined with... Um, I, I don't know, maybe maybe that's it. Um, but really interesting and really has the potential to to change a fight, right? This Kitsune Rush combined with Protection Suzu and the ability to teleport through walls is just insane. This, this character overall seems like it could be really, really powerful. So exciting stuff. And then on top of that, she can freaking climb up walls just like Genji and Hanzo. So she can move around and everything like that crazy abilities um really sounds very exciting and i'm super excited to see how this character is played um, and how to use her best moving on from there the article finally closes out saying overall kiriko will be an incredibly powerful support hero that could easily slip into any meta thanks to her healing damage mobility and utility since kiriko will be such a strong and contested pick finding a great counter for her elusiveness and healing output will be important to avoid her completely taking over the map still Kiriko seems like a fun hero to play that deepens Overwatch 2 and gives players a new challenge. So, as I mentioned, of course, that was all about Kiriko. Um, I actually hadn't, you know, I, I'd watched the video, the trailer for her and everything, but I hadn't actually read the detailed breakdown of her abilities until now. Um, so I'm really impressed with that, um, and I'm really excited to see how she plays. I think she, 
I mean, like Isabella points out in the article there, she sounds incredibly powerful, incredibly damaging, you know, uh, crazy healing, damage, mobility, just all around utility. Um, and also, I'm really excited to see how she might partner with other heroes, right? Will, you know, maybe Lucio's spood, is that spood boost? <laughs> speed boost stack with Kitsune Rush? Um, I mean, probably not, but could be really interesting. Um, how does something like an on a, uh, a boost, uh, nano boost, pair up with Kitsune Rush? Or just how do some of these other abilities uh, pair with some of these characters, right? Um, really, really excited to see Kiriko in action and really interested to see how she plays and how she pairs up with others. Now, we're finally not quite ready to move out of our news. We're finally ready to move on to our final news story, of course, which actually comes this time from Eurogamer.net with an article by Robert Purchise, or Purchise, which reads, the last day of Overwatch 1 will be 2nd October, Blizzard confirms. Now, of course, that's a European thing. They, they list 2nd October rather than saying October 2nd, but I digress. The last day of Overwatch 1 will be October 2nd, Blizzard told me during an Overwatch 2 roundtable interview night. Bracket note, this is from a Pacific time point of view. With time differences, it could be October 3rd elsewhere in the world. October 2nd will then... Uh, sorry, not October. Overwatch 2 will then launch on October 4th and be the only Overwatch game in operation. Quote, So roughly a day before Overwatch 2 launches, we're going to be taking down the Overwatch 1 servers, commercial lead John Spector explained to me. So that means, as a practical point, that October 2nd really is the last day to go in and play Overwatch 1. And then it's a 27-hour downtime that we're planning in order to get the Overwatch 2 server stood up and running. Quote, We'll give current Overwatch players the ability to download Overwatch 2 a little bit ahead of time, a little bit ahead of when we launch, if they want to pre-download. There's also a couple of things that we'll be asking players to do to get ready for Overwatch 2. We'll share a kind of launch checklist with players ahead of things so that they have a smooth experience getting in on October 4th when we launch. So it's basically October 2nd. Overwatch 1 has its last day. We're down for 27 hours to give our team the ability to update all the servers to make sure that the backend supporting the launch of Overwatch 2 is ready to go. And then players can come in on October 4th. And if they already have Overwatch 1, they'll get Overwatch 2 as basically an update from a systems perspective. You'll see. Update the game to Overwatch 2 as an option on your PC or console. If you're a new player, you'll see on October 4th, the ability to come in and download and play Overwatch 2 for free. End quote. The switch to free-to-play for Overwatch 2 carries huge ramifications for the game. Loot boxes are completely gone, for instance, and in their place is a battle pass and in-game shop. Two things I talked at length to Blizzard about last night. As mentioned many times, Overwatch 2 launches on October 4th for PC, Xbox, PlayStation, and Switch. So, sorry, I really struggled through that. My voice is, my voice is on its way out. I can feel it already. But I digress. Wanted to highlight that one because although October 4th is the launch of Overwatch 2, we of course previously had it confirmed that Overwatch 1 is going bye-bye. Overwatch 1 will be no more. But it will actually even be a little ahead of the launch of Overwatch 2, which reasonably you would have inferred that if you know anything about game updates and things like that. The fact that Overwatch 1 is being replaced by Overwatch 2 probably meant that the Overwatch 1 servers would be going down. It is interesting that they're kind of upgrading it for maintenance, um, and anyone who had Overwatch 1 will essentially receive an update to turn it into Overwatch 2, but I digress. I'm excited for October 4th. Now that, finally, 
finally, finally, finally, this is a long episode, brings us to the end of the news section of our show. Now, this part, normally, we would go through the schedule of uh, next week's or, or this week's upcoming games. I'm actually not going to do that. Uh, actually, that's not true. I am going to do that because, of course, I'm going to move on in to our pickums. I'm not a young man anymore. All right, here we are. We're now about to do our pickums. So, first things first, of course, don't forget your pickums. Your pickums will actually lock on September 22nd for this upcoming week. So at the time you're listening to this, you've got a couple days to get in there and get your pickups. The reason I highlight don't forget about them is because you now have to do your crystal ball picks for the Countdown Cup leading into the Grand Finals, of course. So you're picking two teams from each region to advance to the playoffs. Now, the interesting thing is this is the first time they're actually also tying Overwatch League tokens into this. So by submitting your picks, you can actually earn Overwatch League tokens. And it actually only says submitting them. It doesn't say for having correct picks. Um, at least not for the crystal ball picks. So go ahead and get in there. I already know what I'm picking. Um, I am, in fact, going to, in the West region, pick the Los Angeles Gladiators and the San Francisco Shock. That's right, I'm taking no risks here. And then on the Eastern region, I'm picking the Seoul Dynasty and the Shanghai Dragons. Now, a significant reason why I did that is because I follow this account called at OwlStatsNet on Twitter. And they tweeted out today, Teams that have already qualified for the season playoffs, even if they go 0-6 from here. Shock, Fuel, Gladiators, Dragons, Dynasty. So there you have it. Those four are making the playoffs. Pretty easy picks there. So get your crystal ball picks in and save those predictions. Moving on from there, let's move on to the Western Region Week 1. Of course, this is the first time we're actually getting the West and the East starting roughly at the same time. Um, although in the West we start on Thursday and in the East we start on Friday. So first, in the West, on Thursday, September 22nd, we see the Boston Uprising taking on the Houston Outlaws. Now, I am giving this one to Houston, 3-1. We then move on to, uh, sorry, that was at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, so of course, 12 o'clock Pacific Time, uh, as is tradition. Then, on Thursday, the 22nd, at 2.30 p.m., we see the Washington Justice facing off against the Dallas Fuel, and I'm giving that to Dallas. I'm going to go 3-1 as well. Finally, we see the Atlanta Rain taking on the Toronto Defiant. I'm going to stick with my Toronto Defiant and give it to them 3-1 as well. So a bunch of 3-1s on Thursday, if you ask me. That last one is a token match, so they are actually giving Overwatch League tokens for picks um, in here. Now, it's not clear if that means that you get uh, Overwatch League tokens just for submitting, or if you do have to get it right for uh, those matches, but I digress. Moving on from there. We go to Friday the 23rd, and of course we jump over to the East region. First, we see the Chengdu Hunters take on the Hangzhou Spark. And although the Spark kind of had an abysmal uh, summer showdown, I'm going to give it to the Spark, and I'm going to say they take it 3-1. I'm probably going to be wrong there. Moving on from there, we have the Seoul Dynasty taking on the Los Angeles Valiant. I'm giving it to Seoul, 3-0. Although they did just get piggy. I'll give them a map. Let's say it's 3-1. No, I'm sticking with 3-0. I'm sticking with my gut. Then, of course, we move on back to the West. September 23rd, starting at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. We see the London Spitfire take on the Paris Eternal, and I'm giving it to London 3-0. Then at 2.30, the Los Angeles Gladiators take on the Florida Mayhem. Now, I'm going to give Florida a map here because Florida outperformed most people's expectations in the Summer Showdown Tournament. Los Angeles Gladiators, on the other hand, had a rough Summer Showdown qualifier. Seemed like they figured things out at the end there, 
but they didn't get enough wins to guarantee them a spot and ultimately were not invited to the Summer Showdown tournament. But I'm going to give it to the Glads. I think this meta, we're going to shift away from GOATs or from the Jotes meta. And of course, the Gladiators, I think, will be a top performing team once again. Then at 4 p.m. Mountain Time, we see the Toronto Defiant take on the New York Excelsior, and I'm giving it to Toronto 3-0. That's right, 3-0. We then move into Saturday, September 24th, where the Seoul Dynasty will take on the Shanghai Dragons, and I'm giving it to Seoul 3-2. I think this could be a very competitive match. It's really going to be interesting seeing how the meta shakes out, but ultimately, I think Seoul's going to be back on top. Shanghai looked great in this heavily coordinated Jotes meta, but I just don't know if they can keep it up when we're not playing that uh, that style of game. Then we head on over to the Guangzhou Charge and the Chengdu Hunters taking on each other. Oh, I just realized when I was talking Seoul against the Valiant, I said the Valiant signed Piggy. That's not true. It was Guangzhou that signed Piggy. I'm going to throw a coin in this one. There it goes. I'm giving it to Chengdu. I have no idea who wins that one. I'm giving it to Chengdu 3-2. I'll go 3-1 for Chengdu. Moving on from there, our final match on Saturday in the Eastern region is the Philadelphia Fusion taking on the Los Angeles Valiant, and I'm giving it to Philly 3-1. I'll give the Valiant a map there. Sticking with Saturday, we're going to hop back over to the West, Saturday, September 24th at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. The Vancouver Titans take on the London Spitfire, and unfortunately, I do not think we're going to have the strength that the Vancouver Titans showed in the Summer Showdown qualifiers, um, and I think the London Spitfire are going to come out on top 3-1. Then the San Francisco Shock take on the Washington Justice, and I think the Shock will come with a vengeance and, of course, be the Shock that we know they are, and they'll come out 3-0. Then the Florida Mayhem take on the Boston Uprising, and this could be an interesting one. We could see Boston coming out with uh, some strength here, now that we're, again, moving away from the Jotes meta. Um, As I mentioned, Florida looked impressive in the Summer Showdown uh, tournament. They went deeper than most people expected, especially for, I think, the eighth seed that they were. But can they outperform the Boston Uprising? Because Boston did look like, uh, you know, after some management changes, maybe they're on the up and up again. I'm going to go out on a limb here and give it to Boston 3. I'll go 3 2. I'll go 3 2. I think it's going to be a close match. So that was Saturday, and that closes out our Saturday. Then we're going to move on to Sunday, September 25th, back in the Eastern region, where the Shanghai Dragons will 3 0 the Guangzhou Charge. And finally, ooh, the Philadelphia Fusion take on the Hangzhou Spark. Interesting match. I'm going to give that one to Philly. I'm going to say Philly takes it 3-2, but that could be a very competitive match. I'm really excited and hopeful that Hangzhou will be back in the game for this one. We're going to head back to the West for our Sunday, September 25th games, final day of games, starting at 12 o'clock Pacific time, 1 o'clock Mountain time. The New York Excelsior are going to lose to the Atlanta Reign 3-0. The Dallas Fuel are going to win over the Paris Eternal 3-0. The San Francisco Shock are going to win against the Houston Outlaws 3-1. And then the Los Angeles Gladiators are going to beat the Vancouver Titans 3-0. There you have it. I'm locking in those predictions. Save. Save. Save, 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 save. Save. Good. Save. Good. Save. Good. Get in there. Get your pickums in. Don't let those points, and especially those Overwatch League tokens, pass you up. Now, that was the pickums. That was the games for next week. So you know what? Let's move on over to the outro. You know, I still owe you for saving my life that one time. Well, everyone, thank you so much for sticking with me to the end of the show here. Of course, I have to thank you 
if you made it this far. I know this is a longer episode than we normally do, and by all means, I could have made it much longer. If I had the voice in me this week, I probably would have read through that whole article on uh, Blizzard rather than just going over the highlights. And in fact, that would have meant that I um, would have then gone back and broken down everything I covered. I'm actually kind of glad that I didn't do that. I think this was a much better way of doing it. So I digress. If you're interested, like I said, go check out that article uh, over on the official Overwatch website. But thank you so much for listening to episode 88 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM. Please follow me on Twitter at Sir DRJM, at Sir Dr. JM. Reach out to me over there. Send me questions. Send me inquiries. Send me comments. Send me concerns. Send me any of your thoughts on the Overwatch League or Overwatch 2 or games as a whole. I'd love to bring it to the show. I'd love to have a new section on the show where I feature listener questions or listener requests or whatever. So hit me up over on Twitter at SirDRJM. You can, of course, find One Man Watchpoint on podcast services everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. If we're not on a service that you listen to podcasts on, reach out to me. If that's the case, you're probably not listening to this, but I digress. If we're not on a service you'd like to listen to us on, reach out to me and I'll set it up. Please, if you are listening on a podcast service, leave a review, tell your friends, all that jazz. And of course, I also encourage you to check me out over on Ready Set Pwn's podcast, the Ready Set Pwn podcast, your premier source for everything Vancouver Titans and Toronto Defiant. Once again, thanks for listening and signing things off with a good old thank you. Thank you.